Now, none of this can be proven, proven true or false. Okay, so there's, these are ungrounded assessments or unproven assertions. Okay, so that's all we have here is a bunch of information. But if we start to think about, well, what would it take for us to be healthy and thriving, right? Because that's one of our concerns, right? We want to be healthy. We want to thrive in our environment economically and everything else. So what, what's, at the, what's, what's holding us back? What is it that we're doing that's incapacitating us in the world? You see, they have no power. Like, yes, you could be influenced by the media, but look, are you influenced by the media? Or do you believe everything that CNN says? So is it possible that everyone can be immune to the images and meanings and stories that are being sold by news agencies? Absolutely. But this and is- even alternative news start, agencies. Right. But when we start to get focused on this really esoteric information that we can, we have no effect on, like, again, like, okay, aliens rule the planet. What are you going to do about it? You're going to go attack the alien base. Where's it at? You know, and so that you, we get focused on this information that really is completely making us miss what is right in front of us that we can actually affect and change the world around us. Because regardless of what these quote unquote powerful, or I'll call the power hungry, whatever their agendas are, they, do, they cannot control 9 billion free thinkers. If we think for ourselves, and again, this takes, this is gonna take us eliminating these divisions, these false ideologies that divide us. And the only way you can do that is by thinking for yourself. So even when you're inundated with all this data that you've been inundated with, you really have to ask yourself, okay, what can I do in my community to make it better? What can I do? How can I be? How can I live my life in a way that I prosper, that I create love and harmony and respect and those, the things that I want to see in the world, how do I create that in, in my immediate environment? How do I bridge the gaps that are right. between me and people who think differently from me? You know, because right. that's where the real weakness is. These people have right. no power. We give them all their power. Yeah. They have no power. That's that's true. We we do and the distractions. I get it. And I'm and like you said, I'm full of this 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 stuff. But you know, with just like one of the things that we talked about, you know, a couple people, you know, with the economics, like teaching people how to you know grow their own food and within their home their own home, you know, per, you know, right. just by sitting on your windowsill, the herbs, you know, that you can grow and mm -hmm. use to cook, you know, um, in your backyard or in your house, you know, a tomato vine you know, specific, um, you know, you know, foods that you can do real quick without a lot of, that, don't, that doesn't require a lot of sunlight, you right. know. So I am working on that, 
you know, but when the, the masses has been programmed, and we're talking about the masses has been programmed, but you see the other countries is uprising, like UK, I see what's going on in the United Kingdom. I see what's going on, you know, in other uh, countries, like they, they're aware of it, but America has not done, well, some of us, but has not done that yet, and it's sickening. Like I'm in one of the red, the red states, and I, it, it's unbelievable. Like these people, oh, let me just bring this to your attention too. Like the lady sat at my desk, and so I got my shot. I got my shot. Now, now I'm worried because when nobody wasn't dying of COVID, now they will be, and now they're going to be infecting other people because now this immunization that they want, which is not, is gene therapies, is not even a vaccine. What they want, they're finally actually giving them an infection. So now you have to be wary and leery of the person that's standing right next to you because you don't know if they was, you know, not consciously well or critically thinking enough. They they just thought they was doing the right thing, and they're not doing the right thing. Right you know? now, look at what. You, but look at what just happened. You've now divided yourself against more than half the population, and that's well, happening all the time. Right, but see, I have a medical background, so I know about these things. So I I know what they're doing, you know, and it's not against half of the population. I don't want to get sick either, but now they're actually giving them an infection. That's why these people are dying like they are. Well, do you trust your immune system? They are dying. As a human being, do you trust your immune system? Oh, yeah, I trust mine. And are you afraid of dying? No, I'm not afraid of dying. Okay, so why divide yourself against other people because of their choices? See, what, what, what I'm showing you is that this is deliberate. This is a divisory. They knew half the population would not want to get this po- vaccination. They knew that. So what is it doing? It's turning those who have gotten it against those who have got, who haven't, right? So, and, and vice versa. Because now the belief is, because those who weren't buying into it, like you, now are divided on it. You, you now buy into it that this is, I don't want this around me, it, well, if it even exists, right? So right. you've now, and again, this is, ter- this is what's tearing apart culture <laughs> and is this division. We create division between ourselves and others. And that's the root of our problem. It's not what Bill Gates wants to do. It's not Mm -hmm. what George Soros is up to. They're fucking idiots. Okay. They have, they have very little control and they know that and they see that and they're afraid of that. But the only way to control is to divide. And if we buy into this idea of dividing ourselves against others, that will be where their success lies. You see that? That's the issue. Every time you have a thought or speak about other and you've divided yourself against them mentally or verbally, you've created an enemy. You've created another that is now an, an opposition to you. So now that is fracturing the social fabric that's at the root of America's disease is the erosion of our social fabric. And it's, and it's just keeps on going. 
And so this is where critical thinking must come in. Regardless of what's being spread by the media, we need to be able to just think for ourselves and see what's truly at the root of our, as a community, our problems. And if we see that the erosion of our culture is going to be what drags us down, then we have to see our role in it, both the role we play in the erosion of this culture and the role we could play in reestablishing, restoring the social fabric. It goes far beyond these data point details of what might be happening behind the scenes and who's doing it and what their intentions are, what their agenda is. If their agenda is to control, the only way they can achieve that is through the destruction of our cohesion, our social fabric, and our culture. And that is being done very successfully because we're dividing people against each other. We're dividing ourselves from others. And that, I mean, does that sound like a good idea in bringing the world into a healthy, both mentally, physically space? It sounds like the only real truth that, and the only real path that could get us to close to harmony again, right? Like peace, and uh, it is so true, Brandon. E even though we started the conversation with mindset, and I have a great appreciation for everything that's been brought up. At the end of the day, assume all of it's true. You're absolutely right. You know, who, who we be, not just within ourselves, but to be love first, to be harmony first, to, to be cohesion first. And then to trust ourselves and to be discerning and self-directed. I mean, that feels so right. And it's interesting. We started, the, I mean, this, the intention of this conversation was supposed to be about the world is your mirror. And this is, this is on topic, but not exactly where we wanted the conversation to go. But let's look at that. When I've, when I've divided against another, have I not created an enemy? to me. I created that enemy by dividing against them, by either judging them or holding them in contempt for their ideas, by judging them or holding them in contempt for their actions, their choices, like getting vaccinated. Like that is exactly, if I wanted to conquer the planet, that's what I would do. Divide everyone culturally. And that's why they're bringing racism back. Dude, we were doing a pretty damn good job of getting rid of racism and they're bringing it back and they're bringing it back hard and they're selling it, it. and they're it even worse. They're selling it as anti-racism. Yeah. They can't stand to see people happy. You know, yeah. they don't have to see people happy. They don't like growth. You know, they don't yeah. expect you to, you know, like me to, you know, be kind to, 
another race that's not of mine. They don't like that. And they, and they see no. that, that it's growing rapidly too. Yeah. Like I, it was funny. I made a comment a couple of weeks ago that Eddie Murphy did far more for African-Americans than Ibram Kendi ever will. <laughs> That's he, a fact. Because he approached it from a place of comedy. Like when he, he, he addressed white racism, but he made it funny and he brought it to the forefront and it made people like, oh yeah, shit, I am being racist when I do that. And, but because it was in the context of comedy, they were able to let go of it. Eddie Murphy did far more to eliminate racism in this country than any of these bullshit anti-racists running around right now who are creating more racism. And again, if, it, if you just critically thought about it, like these ideas that they're pumping out, it's clearly racism, but what, because we say it's not, just go ahead and go with it. Dude, I was actually just watching a video where they did a bunch of interviews. Like, if you think that uh, ID laws for voting are racist, and they went around and they asked a bunch of what looked like college to 40-year-old white people, and they were all like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course it's racist. They're like, well, why? They're like, well, not a lot of these black people, you know, they know how to get to the DMV or maybe they can't, don't have an address or something. Just like, <laughs> then they went around and they That's interviewed a racist. bunch of black people. I know, I know. They interviewed a bunch of black people and they were like, do you know where the DMV is? They're like, yeah, it's down on 153rd Street. Like, do you have a driver's license? Like, yeah, of course I do. I got one right here. And I got my passport back home and everybody I know has got an ID. <laughs> and then the whole theme of the video was how white people think they still think they're the superior race by saving the poor black community from, you know, voting issues or something like that. It was literally like perpetuating the racism, even though they were thinking that they were really stopping racism. Something I said in the group over the last week, I forget who I was talking to, but I was about the United post that I, I had in there. I was like, if you want to abolish racism in this country, step one, stop making decisions based only off race, period. That's where we start. If you're making decisions based solely off of race, still racist. Yeah, that's racism. <laughs> that is, by definition, racism. And now and that's still what's going on. They're cutting checks to people based off of race. They're prioritizing vaccines based off a of race and it's it's all the same the same stuff yeah and and it's funny because like i said we were we were doing a great job of eliminating racism in this country and I, like like misha said they that's a threat people getting along people not making choices or decisions based on a person's race that's a threat because it's creating unity, right? I mean, right. I'm, I'm not that young. You know, I was born in the 70s. And my generation, there was very little racism. And with my kids, there's none. But now they're being sold racism. In fact, the only racism my kids got was white guilt. 
all white people are bad. <laughs> like that. That's the only racism they got exposed to. Not that that's a good form of racism. It's still racism, but it's mild compared to like what people in the 40s and 50s were experiencing. Well, you know what it is because I'm a 70s baby. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they tried to dumb us down, you know, with the fluoride in our water that does something to your penile gland. To, you know, but what happens is this was their weapon. And, and, and thank you, Snowden, for giving us a lot of information, too. I'll never forget when they, everybody was fighting not to have the Internet. They don't realize, and even what I have in my hand, I have a computer. It's not even a phone. It's a, a computer with, uh, you know, capabilities of, you know, using the phone, video recording, you know, um, you know, getting out messages. So what happens is, and this is why they're trying to dumb down, you know, Google and YouTube and censor stuff. Because people started using the internet for good, you know, using it to educate themselves. You know, back in the day, the 70s babies in the 60s, we had the dictionary, the thesaurus, we had the library, you know, um, you know, the encyclopedias. We would use those, you know. Now you have it right in the palm of your hand. So they don't want you smart no more. So now what they're doing is taking and removing all the good stuff, all the truthful stuff. So truth is becoming a lie, and the lie is becoming the truth. So now they're doing vice versa. They're switching stuff up. But they didn't know that the masses were smart. You know, they didn't think that people would use it to its ability that they have. So they're using it for good, and they don't like that. Exactly. Exactly. So let's play that out. Power of the people, right? If if the people are a collective unit and we care about each other, the well-being of each other, we start with self and go to family and we go to neighbors and we go to community and, and we go beyond. What, what does that do to world power? And forgive me if that sounds really ignorant. I just want to hear it played out with your great minds. And well, first, give me the, your distinction. What do you mean by world power? So we're talking about the they, and you know how I feel about the nebulous they. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they want us, they want conflict between the people. And, and, and that rings true for me. Like, I feel that that's true. Um, that th- that there's a force that's that's inviting people into conflict unnecessarily, and so let's say we don't we don't drink the Kool Aid, and we don't do it accidentally, and we don't do it purposely because we're conscious of the the attempt, and so that makes us just better. We love each other more, right? And we understand our power, and we don't need to overtry. We just do. So, like in harmony, what's the threat in harmony? What's the threat with the with the people? If somebody wants to run the world, I mean, what what are these they that we're talking about? Why do they want us to? 
Why do they want to split us up? Why do they want to separate our power? Why do they want to? Well, you, you to okay, so yeah, you want to know motivations, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that motivates most people. It's fear. It's fear, plain and simple. It's fear. Fear of not having enough. Fear of not being enough. Fear drives most people, okay? Including the people who want to control. You want to understand, and if we want to play out, what would, what would things be like if the masses were without fear and if they were united and cooperative with each other and respectful and caring and loving of each other, then those who are still in fear and want to control would, would, uh, what do you call it? Uh, would get together <laughs> and control each other in little groups. Because that's, that's all that would, that's the only place where they could influence is where with others with fear, you know? And again, when we, when we really, when we get into that space of critically thinking, you know, when I asked Misha, like, are you afraid to die? Like, I don't know how often people think about that question, but if that, if you're not afraid to die, then what the fuck are you afraid of? <laughs> you know, like, like are, I mean, most people would rather die than speak in public. So, okay, maybe public speaking. But the reality is, like, when you really start to think about, like, okay, I'm not afraid of that. And that's the worst <laughs> that could happen. If I'm not afraid of the worst that can happen... Why am I in fear of anything and everything else? And if I can step outside of my fear and I can look at, well, I want the world to be different. Okay. Well, now I can do something about it because when I'm in fear, I'm, I'm paralyzed by that fear. Right? And that's why they feed all this fodder. On both sides, this, this information, this meaningless, like I'm convinced most of that alien shit is all them trying to make you think they have more power than they do. They don't, they don't control shit. They don't have any power and there's no aliens helping them out. They're a bunch of fucking nimrods who are afraid, want to control and are afraid that they are going to lose control. That's it. I agree and with that. And I it's agree. driven by fear. As long as we are in fear, we can be controlled. Let's and also, what, go ahead. Let's also, Brandon, talk a little bit into why fear is a device of control. Because I hear this thrown around a lot, but I've never heard anyone really talk through, like, when I'm afraid, I'm easily controlled. Like, that's not, that's not exactly true. Yeah, like, I'm more likely to obey what my mom says when she's pissed. That's a form of fear and following instruction. But really, if you've got a, uh, a framework or a narrative running in your mind and you're afraid of what the potential outcomes could be, you're not able to be present, not consistently at least, to what's directly in front of you, which may be plenty of resources. Like, put, simply put this way. If somebody's afraid of losing their job, which means they'll have no money, then they're terrified thinking about, I may not have a house soon, and I may not have enough money for food, and I may not be able to drive my car and X, Y, and Z. I'm going to lose everything, and I'm going to be on the street, 
and their mind is like 10 years down the line looking at themselves dying in a gutter homeless and broke and alone and afraid and all of that like worst case scenario that's a terrible way to go out but what they're not present to are the opportunities and the possibilities and the people that exist and the house that exists all in that moment meaning the resources that they have available to them that they could create any possibility with. Right. And, so, yet, and so, is, what so what you're talking about is being consumed with fear to the degree that you're blinded to opportunity. Around you. Right. Okay, so that's one type of fear, but what's the, what's the fear that drives most, most of the time? It's not I, fear of dying in the gutter. <laughs> no, well, it's it's each person's believing they're not like they're not enough. Isn't that the high, the number one fear? I, well, not even that because that's more sub that's more on the subconscious level. Okay, okay? like m most people just believe they're not enough, and so they're always constantly trying to prove. But the reason that the, that not being enough is even an issue is because of their fear of not being liked and not being accepted. So if ninety percent of the people. Yeah, 90% of the people think the masks are bullshit, but they're going to wear them because they don't want to be they don't want to be not liked, they don't want to be confronted. They want to just be accepted. So they're going to wear the mask. Okay? So that's that's a fear that drives most most of the time is that fear of not being liked, that fear of not being accepted. And then you have the fear of being wrong so you don't want to think for yourself if you just repeat information that the majority are repeating well then you can't be wrong can you you're just At least you be called out for being wrong yeah because i mean dude, it's what they're saying on cnn right so now that's why i repeat the information it's not because i necessarily even believe it it's because i have a fear of being wrong i have a i have more of fear of being humiliated of being embarrassed than i do of being killed <laughs> than i do of dying broken alone on the street yeah that's right that's most people too i know i i, I don't fear what i proposed but you're like people that wear masks or you know they're afraid of the conflict or something and that's yeah. definitely me i i strictly it's not like i walk into a grocery store like oh, i just gotta wear this because i'm here like, if I walk in here and I'm one of those assholes without a mask on, I'm going to get called out. It's going to be embarrassing. I'll be uncomfortable. I might as well skip all the drama and all the conflict and just kind of go the easy path. That's right. strictly because like, I'm avoiding the conflict. Right. It's funny because I won't wear the mask hoping for the conflict so that I can say something like, like when somebody says, well, why aren't you wearing a mask? I can say, because I'm not a brainwashed fucking idiot, you know? Um, but the funny thing is I ne I've never been confronted. Not once, not once has anyone said anything about me not wearing a mask. Because we're, we're all secretly looking at you going, man, I wish I could do that. <laughs> they will confront a woman most uh, faster than they would confront a man. Like, no, I look at all the women and I look at all the men and I even look at all the babies that go into the grocery store with that mask on and I tip my hat to them. 
<laughs> no, but it, Rachel, it goes to your point of like, why does fear allow for such control? And how does that mechanism play out in society? This polarization between people wouldn't exist without the, the what we were talking about earlier with the separation and the, you know, the division of people. And now that people are divided over a single issue, which happens in the ideology aspects of people on mass or on vaccines or anything else, now you've got a polarization that's happened within the, the culture of the community. And now when you have those people, they either are choosing into the fear of avoiding the conflict or their fear of fitting in or something else. And so they're just going along with, they have to pick a side basically. They're not now thinking for themselves and acting for themselves. They're adhering to some type of stress in the, in the environment. And so that is a very easy and simplified way to understand how polarization in a, in a society can inspire and create action in individuals. Does that make I'm sense? Also, yeah, it does. And I, I'm curious, you know, if, you know, if we're not, fighting with one another then we're our brother's keepers well that keeps a significant amount of of greed at bay right because people are harder to take advantage of when they have good keepers well also even more specifically what would happen if everybody was on the same page about the masks if everybody had the same information if everybody had the same beliefs would there be any conflict for us to polarize over Right, no, but but, yeah, but we here's, didn't. here's the problem with that proposition. Nobody on the planet, there is not one idea or belief that we all adhere or share. Correct. <laughs> and I think when we have angst about what other people are doing or not doing, we're also drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Because we need to exist in peace and harmony in light of the differences. Um, well, we don't, and again, we don't need to. Uh, again, don't don't get it don't get yeah. it twisted. Yeah, that yeah. Good. Conflict is bad. Conflict is good. Conflict is absolutely good. Arguing with someone is fucking good because you and that other person have an opportunity to learn something about what you think, and the people around you have an opportunity to learn something about what you think. So it's not that conflict is bad, okay? Because we need to embrace conflict, just like we need to embrace debate. We need to embrace argument because that's how we come to better information. You bring your ideas, I'll bring my ideas, and we'll put them up against each other, and maybe we'll synthesize something better. Yes. Yes, yes. Can I say something? You know, I always get beat up for doing this, but I stands out amongst the rest of, you know, the folks. Um, they be like, um, how are you? They Like, just general. They be like, how you doing? I be like, horrible. Why you say there's no need and no sense in complaining? I say, yes, it is. There's a lot to complain about. There's a lot to talk about. And people hate me, <laughs> hate me for saying that because I, I don't say it, 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 it's good because, I mean, I'm going to have my, I, I do good anyway. I feel good all the time. You know, but I, I, just, to, just to wake up their mass, you know, the mass is to say, come on, there's a lot of stuff going on out here. Are y'all paying attention? Or are you not paying right. attention? 
You know, so there right. is complaints that you can make. You know, they be oh no sense in complaining. Who the hell said that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, and you make a good point that you you're in generally you're a happy person. So you don't get consumed by what you have to complain about, which is a healthy way of having a un unpopular opinion, right? Like yep. if you don't get consumed with anger or madness or frustration or depression over your unpopular opinion, mm -hmm. well, that's a healthy way to be with an unpopular opinion. Cause I got a lot of unpopular opinions. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Because, because when we do, and I learned this because I, I did go through a, um, being traumatized as a kid and went through, you know, abuse and stuff like that, sexual abuse and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I was given that power, a uh, person power over me. I no longer, they cannot control me. They cannot control my thought process. They cannot control my happiness. And that's what we do all the time. Like this is what's going on now. We easily giving up my freedoms. Like me, I was a person that coupon. Oh, I was down. I love coupon. But then when I started seeing them sending receipts to my email, I didn't ask y'all to send that shit to my, excuse my French, everybody. I didn't ask y'all to send that stuff to my email. Why? And then why you have to let me know what I already know? You don't have to, you know, share that information with me. I already know it. So, but who gave you the authority? I did. Me giving them power. I gave them the authority over me because I signed up for the nonsense. You know, unknowingly, because I didn't read the small print. I said, oh, I'm just getting 10% off, 30%. You know, basically leaving out with a shopping cart of food for free, basically, paying nothing. I was happy with that. But when I seen them snooping, like, here you go. No, that's not right. You know, so you have to change your mindset. Signing up for those reward cards, getting 10% of this and that. I stopped all of that. You know, and I realized that they was using it as tracking devices. You know, they was tracking everything that I do. So uh, people don't realize they're giving up their freedom so easily, you know, by signing up for these things. Even us using the social media. You know, we don't read the fine print. We just sign, hey. You know, we just sign up for things, but these are all freedoms that we're giving away. Even with this uh, this little pandemic fake virus going on, you know, they want to track you, use these cards. That's a HIPAA. Well, HIPAA, it stands for hypocritical and all that stuff. But you're giving up your freedom. That's a violation. They're not supposed to know where you, where you at, what kind of disease you have, and sharing that information. And then you hiring people. You know, the government for whom I work with, hiring people just to, to track somebody, look what, what they're doing, see what they're doing. You know, that's a, that's a lie. And people don't realize how easily they're giving their stuff away. You know, some things you have to keep to yourself. So I stopped. Even though I started, I stopped. Now I know better. You know, but I wasn't paying attention at what I was doing. I read the fine print. <laughs> I, might, I might be the only one. I was just happy to get the to come home with a free cart full of food. So you know, I didn't read the fine print. But now you and everybody else. <laughs> no, I mean seriously, I've read the fine print, but what if you click no, you don't get the app. So you really have to make a choice. <laughs> like I've been deleting apps just because of that. WhatsApp <laughs> is one of them. They came out with all their their PSA. They like. They released some new terms of service or privacy policy came out in January or something like that. And they had a massive deplatforming 
people leaving WhatsApp because now that they're owned by Facebook, they were going to share all of the data of the people that use WhatsApp with Facebook and thus Facebook's advertisers. So people were just basically leaving WhatsApp in, in massive amounts. And then they came out a month later and they're like, well, actually, we're going to postpone our releasing of this privacy policy and this update just so everybody get, understands what's really going on here. We're going to we're going to let everybody know and do all this informational stuff. And so they basically came out like, we're not going to keep your data and we're not going to do this and this and we're not going to share with advertisers. It's only when you engage with businesses that they get to go, you know, revisit some of this information. That was a lie. They, they tricked everyone. They lied. That's what they, they said, said but then you go read their terms of service and not a word changed in the terms of service. You know what? Basically they, saying, like, it leaves the back door open for them to do it in the future. But they're not going to do it right now because of all the bad press they got. But then they still wrote it into the contract so that if they decide to do it in six months from now or a year from now when things have cooled off, no problem. So like reading the fine print is actually a powerful thing to do because I take responsibility for the contracts that I enter. If I were to just blindly say yes to that, I, I deserve what's coming to me. <laughs> Basically is what I'm trying to say. So I think Brennan, actually also to get back to what you're saying, conflict is good. I mean, even them talking now about the contracts, I think Gingy and, and, um, is it Misha? Yes. Okay, forgive me, Misha. Okay, so you know, if we're not in, if we're not, we're talking about conflict in different ways here, though. If we're not disruptive, if we don't take everything as as against our identity, and we're balanced and healthy emotionally, you can have good conflict. I think that's a fair thing, Brandon, and that just like raising the mental and emotional health of society by raising your own mental or my own or our own mental and emotional health. Um, I think I can't imagine what a fucked up, boring, lame ass world this would be if everyone thought the same. Right. And so that's why you must, there must be conflict. There must be difference of opinion and they must be brought together and they must be brought head to head because that's what synthesizes better ways of thinking, better ideas. If you just stick with what you think, you know, and your ideas, well, good luck. You're not going to grow. Growth comes from tension. Okay, that's where growth comes from. If you guys remember way back when we had the conversation about the dark night of the soul, how important that is for the soul's evolution, for your own transcendence, it's important for you to experience that tension. So tension is not a bad thing. Tension makes you stronger. Tension makes you smarter. Tension makes bad ideas into better ideas. Now, Brandon, there's, there's something that stuck with me ever since probably authorship where you were talking about somebody that you admired, a buddy of yours. I forget his name, but you're like, this dude's got like, he's just the most authentic person I know, but he does it in a very compassionate way. If somebody's like, hey, man, I need your opinion on X, Y, and Z. He wouldn't be like, okay, well, here it is, blah, bluntly and you know, potentially offending somebody. He'd be like, are you sure you want my full opinion? You're not going to like it. And he would kind of pat it 
and create permission and they would have compassion with how they might respond to it and then give them an unaltered, fully authentic expression of, of whatever his views on the subject were. Where does that fall in with the conflict that you're talking about and the tension that you're talking about? That is, that, that's right in there with it. Because he's, he's, he's just prefacing it like, look, I got an unpopular opinion here. <laughs> like, I'm not just going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm not just going to spit out platitudes. You know, I know exactly the person you're talking about, Garza. So Garza. Th- Garza. I won't, I won't put his first name on here, but that's his last name, Garza. Oh, okay. Um, I thought that was his first name. I was like, that's an interesting person. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it, he just had a level of authenticity to him that it's like, he's not going to bullshit you. You know what I mean? He's not going to just tell you what you want to hear. You know, like uh, a lot of times, friends, acquaintances, family members, like somebody brings you an issue and let's say their issues with another person. Most people's tendency is to side with whoever's bringing them the information, right? Whoever they're having the conversation with, whoever they're having the discussion with, they're not going to be like, dude, it sounds like you're the fucked up one here. You know, <laughs> that's why they're not going to be your problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, it, but he was someone you could count on for that. He's like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like she's the problem. It sounds like when you did this, that was a bigger problem. You know what I mean? Like he's just, Willing to be honest. I'm not saying he's right, you know, but he's willing to express himself authentically and honestly, which does create tension and creates growth. It created growth for me when he did it. I'm just like, fuck, a person is willing to be honest. <laughs> like, that's crazy, you know. Um, so it was, it was, it was an opening of my eyes, even though in the moment that it had, that it had first occurred, it was, it was a uh, minor. It wasn't like a big life issue or anything. It was like relatively meaningless. But the fact that he was willing to address this relatively meaningless thing, honestly and authentically, created a tension within myself that led to growth, right? So again, it's, it, it, I think it's a very important aspect of our evolution is to experience tension in relationships, and even within ourselves. Well, it has me think about all the times that I've avoided conflict, avoided being uncomfortable, avoided tension with people. And, you know, not for, you know, lack of wanting to create value for somebody else, but just because for me it's been an uncomfortable space to be in. Like, oh, I don't really right. want to open my and mouth and talk about this with somebody, but the value right. that could have been created in that moment, I have no idea. Right. And, and that's exactly that fear we were talking about. Right. That fear, that's the driving motivator. The fear that I won't be accepted. The fear that I won't be like, because you know why people aren't afraid to die alone on the streets or to get shot? Because they've never experienced it. But guess what? They've experienced humiliation. They've experienced embarrassment. And guess what? They don't like it. (laughs) So the fear of experiencing humiliation, the fear of experiencing uh, uh, being wrong about something and being embarrassed or feeling shame, like they, there's, those are real fears because they, they have real experiences around. 
Yeah, it lives for them. It lives for me. Like the the amount of inauthenticity I'm willing to put up with in within myself just to avoid that. I mean, up until probably the last year, thanks to my coaching with Patricia. But the, the inauthenticity I was willing to go to within myself in in moments of stress and conflict and and all of that, like I could watch myself doing it but it was absurd. I was like, Oh my God, I, I don't mean anything of what I just said. Why am <laughs> I laughing at myself? Why did I not stand on what, what I was saying? And it, it's not even just with like strangers to avoid a fist fight or something like that. It's like with my mom or with my girlfriend or, or somebody that's, you know, intimately close to me that, there's no physical danger. There's unconditional love that that exists and is established in the relationship. But yet I'm like, I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to tarnish the relationship. I don't want to whatever. And that, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's gone through this, but that's a really good realization to see that that stress and that conflict is natural and necessary. And at the same time with what I brought up about Garza, you can do it in a compassionate way and you can preface it and you can create permission with it instead of just bombarding people with an, you know, an in- interaction that they're not signed up for. You know, they're like, I don't want to talk about this yet. You were just going to let me know how your day is. And here you are blabbing about how much I suck at X, Y, and Z. <laughs> <laughs> so it's those two elements there just to wrap up that it's natural and necessary and that you can do it from a space of compassion. That's at least that's supported for me. I don't know about anybody else, but that's awesome. And, and you could do it from a space of not being compassionate. In fact, come being harsh and offensive could be the most compassionate approach that you could have for someone. Well, Brandon, yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> You actually, you were harsh and offensive with me, and it changed. It, it changed a lot about who I am and how I be. It was. It was such a a beautiful gift. Uh, it lives with me forever. So I, uh, I, I agree. I mean, with it, it's funny that you look at what they're trying to do now is create this culture of not offending anyone, and all the col- all the white college women are running around being offended for everyone, claiming that everyone's offended by everything. <laughs> And now everyone's afraid of offending. And again, that's the fear that drives. Fear of death doesn't drive people. Fear of not being liked. Like, oh my God, if I say that, I'm going to offend people. Oh my God, then I won't be liked. That really affects people. And that's what's tearing apart culture. Is that, that the fact that we're being driven by these fears of offending. There is no growth if you don't risk offending. There is no wisdom if you don't risk offending. There is no freedom if you don't risk offending. And I wonder if this is something that you could that you could calculate with the algorithms on the systems that we were talking about at the beginning of the call. Like, hey, look, people are highly susceptible to, like, they don't want to be offensive. You can see dynamics in the global language of moving away from conversations with conflict. Let's, you know, come out with X, Y, and Z. Is this something that could have been calculated or no? I, I, I don't follow. <laughs> what, like people <laughs> who act based on 
averting, averting offense of others? So earlier in the call, you were talking about the, this database company that had access to basically global. No, 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 no. They're not a database company. <laughs> they have 250,000 servers. servers all over the world and all <laughs> internet traffic passes through their servers. Um, they pass themselves off as networking security and content delivery, but they know everything that happens on the internet. And so they, you were saying that they could basically monitor the direction that human conversation is going and be able to predict that this is something that, that is headed in the future. And if you could see a growing increase in people's you know, avoiding conflict or being offended or whatever, that could be something I would imagine that you could leverage in the future, putting together things out there like we're seeing today. Well, I, I still don't follow what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, what, like, what's being put out there is exactly that. What, but could we have seen about? it coming with the server systems that you were talking about earlier? Oh yeah, you, the, that's their that's their biggest value is what's it's the what's trending, right? They could tell you there's going to be a terrorist attack based on the emotions of the people of the world. And they know the emotions and the psychological conditions of the people around the world based on this massive amount of data that they collect. Like literally, that's what they, they could pinpoint events like say, oh, yeah, there's going to be a terrorist attack in the next week because they've they see the trending. See, they're, they're not just monitoring websites you visit. They can see what like where people's mindset is. You know what I mean? On a massive scale, which is telling you what the world is doing. The world is like an organism. We're just part of the organism. And so when the, all the parts of the organism start moving in a certain direction, it's like, oh, fuck, this is going to happen. You see? So they, they, can, they can monitor the trending and tell you an event like this is going to occur within this amount of time. And they've used it to great effect for those purposes. Rachel's favorite they conversation. <laughs> so <laughs> what is the movement? Let me just look. I'm taking some notes here, Brandon. <laughs> I think of what you just said, you know, the, to restore the social fabric that I wrote that down and even just recognizing also, at least for me, there's some days when I'm of a very balanced state and conflict is, uh, could create value. So when I'm thinking about somebody else, there's also me assessing myself and, and saying, am I in a place where I could do conflict in a value creation kind of way? If, if I'm not ready to do that, I, I do opt out of conflict because some, some things I need to handle, right? Stressful day, unexpected events, things of that nature. So I just wanted to put that in there, but what does this like social fabric movement look like? How do we create that? You know, it took what 8% of, 
homeowner defaults to create a whole collapse of our mortgage industry what's the percent of social fabric enhancement and and well-being is it going to take just to drive our world in a better place it, uh, it's really it looks like because of the masses abandoning the systems that we used to have in place that helped to establish and maintain a social fabric like religion um we need to reestablish more things like what churches created in the past. You know, that communal, that community concern for on the individual level for everyone that's a part of your community and creating within your community things that support and help the people in your community, recognizing that the real problems in this world aren't aliens, aren't politicians, aren't technocrats, aren't vaccine crazed billionaires. It, th those aren't the problems. The problems are at, at the cultural level. It's the decay of our society, the division that we are creating between us and other people within our communities based on ideologies, based on other things, based on race. Now racism coming back big. So they want to, there's a division that we create, that we must uncreate. We must create unity. We must recognize when we have divisive ideas and divisive thoughts that it put us at odds with others, that that's what's at the root of the social decay. So if we put into place things that we can come together with, regardless of race, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of level of income, right? So all these things that we tend to divide on, we create, whether you want to call it groups, institutions, clubs, whatever you want to call it, where regardless of what you think, regardless of how you vote, regardless of any other aspect of your humanity, that the only requirements here is being human, okay? No dogs allowed. So it's, it's a place where we come, we talk, we communicate, we support. Like that used to be what the church was. And it's why Western civilization took off the way that it did was because we had a very cohesive religion. And we had a very cohesive culture that went with that religion. But people have abandoned religion. So the vast majority of people have abandoned religion. So there's, a, there's not only a lack of a social element that brings us together. There's also a lack of spiritual thinking that is at the root cause of the decay of our culture. So like I said, it's something like a church because it's where we can we can nurture spiritual thought and community because that's the real value of church. It's not the dog, the dogma that's being sold. It's not the ideas, the ideology and who's got the right religion. That's not the value in religion. The value in religion is bringing everyone together in peace, love and happiness and communal support and all that other business. That's where the value in religion is, is that it's something that we can, that we've used for <laughs> really the entirety of human existence to push us forward, to 
bring us up to create more and more uh, thriving cultures throughout the centuries. And so right now you see that the, the abandonment of these types of institutions and you're seeing the complete debauchery and, and dismemberment of any and all culture and the social fabric that used to hold us all together. The, yeah, one, the one good thing about religion is that it's given a lot of people hope and something to look forward to. Right, but hope in uh, in a uh, uh, isolation isn't where the value in religion is. Amen. Hope is with uh, with all the others around you that that you share that with. Right, that's where your hope is. Your hope is in humanity. You see the good in people when you share those religious rituals and those religious communes, whether you go to church or whatever, you see the love, you see the compassion, you share your love and compassion with others. That's at the root of social fabric. Brandon, that's spot on as well. My husband and I were just talking about that. We need more community centers. We need more gatherings. We need more. I mean, we, we didn't mention it, but you know, it strikes me that in this moment, our group is, is that. Um, uh, it's Absolutely. really profound. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I need to, to run, but thank you all so much for tonight. It's always been amazing experience and I, I leave better than I show up. So thank you. Thank you, Brandon, Jinchi, everybody. Good night, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. Bye, Rachel. Well, we deviated quite a bit from the uh, world as your mirror. Jimmy, you know, I, I mean, bring it back together. <laughs> it's funny that that was the topic. And it's funny that a lot of the content of our conversation is, is relevant, but I feel like that's not what this, that we, I don't know if we could give this, this, uh, I want to call it an episode, but <laughs> this conversation <laughs> a title or a theme um, other than maybe social fabric and, and, and cultural decay or something. Yeah. That's um, what I was thinking. Cultural decay. Yeah. And what's I mean, that seems to be the, the center of this entire conversation is the culture or sorry, is culture in general, not even the culture. Right. But, um, it's funny because that's what, social fabric you know, is I, good too. that's, that was one of the things that, as a business consultant, that was my, my primary focus in working with businesses was their culture. Cultural because, dogmas. Yeah, the culture of a company is what makes or breaks it. It wasn't the systems. Like at first I was doing systems. You know, I did workflow systems and, you know, I made the company more efficient. <laughs> but if you've got a poisonous culture, you can have the most efficient system on earth and you're not going to thrive because the culture of the business is pulling it apart, is dividing the employees, whatever it is. 
Um, so even the success of a business is largely dependent on its culture more than more than anything else. I actually you, think that's what my girlfriend's going through right now, running this business that she's working on. She's been trying to install system after system and making things more efficient and more productive. And she just it keeps experiencing people in breakdown, people burning out, people you know, getting in arguments or being offended. And she's like, it's like I have to care about their feelings or something. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, it's, it's the culture. You got to go in and actually work with that, especially if you're the head of an organization. You can't ignore the culture of the organization. That's paramount. In fact, you must address it first before you start implementing new systems. Because yeah. if you don't have an overhaul of the culture, your systems will be wholly rejected. <laughs> and what could make a company more effective and productive will make it more ineffective and more unproductive um, because of the rejection by the culture of the company itself because their culture was centered around the old systems as well. So the, it's, it, it's the first thing to address is the culture. At least that's what I learned over years of consulting was I started with focusing on systems. And by the end of it, I wasn't even doing systems anymore. It was all about the culture <laughs> because that's what made the company thrive was when you could, when you could create a culture within the company that had people want to be there, that had people happy, that, that, that not only were we uh, concerned with the culture of the people while they're at work, but the culture of the people while they're at home. You want people working less hours so that their spouses are happy. <laughs> you know, like, like all these things must be taken into account because how someone is being at home, how they're being treated at home, how they're feeling at home comes to work with them. And so this is the culture of a company is the culture of every household that's, <laughs> that's a part of that company. Shit, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. I mean, it also makes me think about some of the issues that we see within the United States right now, which all people are talking about are the systems, systemic racism and what systems to replace and rebuild and, and you know, what to do systemically, basically, to fix the problems that we're experiencing. And not a single person I've heard discuss culture, except for us. And outside of our group, it's, I haven't heard one. I mean, you probably have heard someone talking to culture at some point, but you know, I hear random entrepreneurial hype men, consultant guru types talk about it. And, and they'll talk about how important culture is winning teams and winning cultures. That stuff is great, but they're, they're not in like the, they're not in the highlight right now. Right. We're talking about how do we get people more money and how do we eliminate this in our systems and how do we real rebuild something like this to benefit so-and-so and that's it. It makes me think what would shift or even what would be accepted and transitioned if we specifically focused on culture. That's like we don't, where all the focus should be <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Cause that's, if we talk about, 
the world or humanity has a disease. And at the root of the disease is culture. And it's the, it, it's the, the eradication, the destruction of our social fabric and the poisoning of our culture that is at the root of all humanity's disease, right? So the, the problems aren't economic. The problems aren't uh, uh, political, right? They are cultural, absolutely. I, I could say on some level philosophical, but that's what's part of what's destroying the culture are philosophies. <laughs> so, so that's just, that's really just an aspect or a facet of the cultural issues that we're, that we're up against and that we're experiencing. The, the culture to me is like the soil in which all of our systems and things are grown out of. Absolutely. And if, if you're not maintaining and, and caring for the soil, you can blame the fertilizer and you can blame the water and you can blame the sun and the air and all the other things that do play parts in the healthy maturation of whatever you're growing. But if you're not taking into account the soil in which it grows from, then you're missing the entire point. Nothing that you change. You could give it the purest, best water ever. The soil's dead. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. Right. And, that, and I think that's the perfect analogy because it is culture is the context of human society. Yeah. I didn't look at it that way, but that's just right. So could you, could you ahead, define Jim. culture? Because I'm kind of not understanding that. Now, you know, me, there's different funny. cultures. Yeah, yeah, that's funny that you say that. Because me and Gigi actually brought up this point uh, a couple days ago. We were having a conversation, and uh, and 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 I actually I made that point that like, well, to most people, the culture is a meaningless word. You know, they think, well, I'm Mexican, so I've got culture because I eat Mexican food. Like they think that that's as deep as their thought around culture is. Culture is how we treat each other. It's how we talk to each other. It's how we interact with each other. It's, the, it's everything we share. It's, it's every, all the behaviors we share, our ways of thinking that we share. Um, even what we produce is part of culture, is part of our culture. You know, the fact that we have a culture where we, value communication a certain way whereas in some other culture there may be a different value so it's not about i'm not talking about nationality this isn't like usa us that's all i'm talking about here i'm not talking about like a specific group of people's culture we're talking about culture in general because anyone can be a part of your culture okay so we're not talking about a national culture we're not talking about a a, lo a, a lo local culture, you know, like I'm from Huntington Beach. That has a culture there. Okay, there's a way of being Huntington Beach that if you grew up, if you were raised, if you were born and raised there, there's a certain there are certain elements that are part of your worldview, about a part of your behavior, that are just part of the culture of being there. Okay, so. 
taking that into account when we when we talk about okay well what's what's the problem with culture and we're now dividing part of our culture now is dividing against each other which erodes the social fabric the social fabric is what binds us together it holds us together it's the force i love that i got to use that analogy it's the force it binds us it penetrates us wait how's it go it surrounds us it binds us it pe penetrates us um so that's that, that's what the social fabric is 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 that is that all of that together that that makes a society possible like we could all live in isolation and then there's no culture but for us to successfully not only live, not only survive, but to thrive as a community, we must have a culture that nurtures the community. Right now, we're implementing ideas, actions, ways of thinking, ways of speaking that do the opposite, that actually divide us against each other, that do the opposite of nurturing. They're poisoning our society, our community. Okay, so this is the erosion of the social fabric and the corruption of culture is corrupting those things that we bond together over, that we, you, that we in the past throughout our, throughout our entire history have shared that both become, I don't want to necessarily call it an obligation, but become a, an impotence of our own contribution and the support of others it's it's embedded within culture and society there's a interdependence there so this this might be like that word because it has the word dependence in it <laughs> <laughs> um let me read a couple of definitions that i found online this one kind of speaks to what i feel is the common understanding of what culture is and it says the arts and manifestations of human intellectual achievement. So kind of like the creative works and whatever else of a society is what they're, they're talking to. Right. That's what more most people think of when they hear the word. Mm -hmm. And uh, more specifically, kind of closer to what we were talking about, I'll read two more. Culture is the characteristics and knowledge of a particular group of people encompassing language, religion, cuisine, social habits, all kinds of stuff. Or culture is more of an umbrella term, which encompasses social behavior, social norms, and other things like that in social society. So as well as the knowledge and beliefs and arts and laws and customs and compatibilities and habits of individuals in those groups. So it's almost like the fabric between each and every one of those individuals that holds them together as a society. So the culture is something that all of the individuals of that society come out of. Uh, that's my own definition. That last bit. Yeah. I, it, yeah. Like I said, the, 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 the context of society. Yeah. And that's perfect. Because the context holds within itself the, the possibilities of every individual coming out of that context. All that that society's culture 
is capable of producing is the potential of every one of the individuals coming from that context. In fact, it's interesting when you look at like the history, like if you look back far in history, like ancient Mediterranean, and you had these huge metropolises that just one day everyone abandoned, <laughs> or it seems that way. It's like, okay, where the fuck did everybody go? They just left. And it was because the, the, the culture was not sustainable with that many individuals. It just got to the point where people are like, I'm fucking out. <laughs> like, this ain't working for me anymore. You're, we're trying to accommodate and appease too many because that's the nature of culture is like, for one, the recognition of the individual. We are individuals and we have our own preferences. We have our own desires and we have our own goals and aspirations. And to make that individuality flourish within a community is it's tricky business. It's not as easy as it sounds. And when these metropolises grew to a certain size, people just bailed because it became tyrannical by nature because it's like, okay, we got too much shit going on. We got too many people and not everyone's happy. And so you start to implement all these things to thinking you're trying to make everyone happy, but in reality, you make everyone miserable because making this group over here happy is making this group over here miserable. And so the, a lot of these metropolises, it, it was for no other reason than culture was not sustainable anymore. It was like, so people just bail. Because what you find is when they find these huge abandoned metropolises, they find that right at the point of, right at about the point, these uh, 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 establishments, these, these um, cities were abandoned, all these smaller communities all around it popped up. Interesting. So it's almost as if it gets to a certain, like, <laughs> I almost said critical mass. <laughs> and it gets to that point of where it becomes unsustainable and it splinters off and creates. I'm looking at it in, in the big picture as process. Because it's not like, oh, boom, it, it, it imploded and now it's over and it's scattered out and they dwindled away. This is a transitionary step of human beings, the human race operating collectively. Right. So as well, we pool and build and- but Think about this, the tension that they experienced in this huge metropolis made their experience of their small community so much better because of all the wisdom gained from the tension created in that unsustainable culture. Right. You know, it, it was it was a growing thing coming together in mass. It, 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 yeah, I don't want to get into that, but um, but this is the nature. This is the breathing in and breathing out. Right. Imagine the accumulation of people to one place and the expression of a large community as a breathing in and then a breathing out. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, that is a part of humanity. That is a part of nature. That is a part of existence itself, breathing in and breathing out. It's the earth itself breathing when you have mass come together and then you have mass disperse. 
It's just a breathing in and breathing out. It's not that one is better than the other. It's not that one is good. It's that they're essential for each other. That you must have unsustainable cultures created in order to create better cultures. The breathing in and the breathing out. It kind of reminds me of music theory where they, they have what's called the circle of fits. And so say if you start at the, the note C, the next letter in the circle of fits is, you guessed it, five notes up. So if you count C as number one, C, D, E, F, G, G would be the fifth of the C major scale. And funny enough, if you do the reverse direction and you go backwards on the circle of fifths and you subtract four, you go C, B, A, G. If you go down four, you get to G. And if you go up five, you also get to G. And it's almost as if nature and the structures built into even our music scales are built for evolution, are built for progress. You take five steps forward or four steps backwards and you get to the same place. It's interesting. Indeed. Indeed. I think that was a perfect way to circle back to um, when you're sharing about the importance of having tension and how we grow through tension. That was perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's just like the breathing in and the breathing out. It is, it is an essential part of our evolution. I think we really touched on it well when we did the Dark Night of the Soul conversation. Um, that was a good one. Yeah, because it, it's such it, like we've been spending our lives, most people, avoiding the, 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 either medically, pharmaceutically, or self-medicating. We've avoided these dark nights that offer the potential for so much growth by using psychological substances to avoid them. You know, whether it's alcohol, whether it's some other illicit drug, whether it's pharmaceuticals, um, whether it's some habitual activity, you know, some people may be eating, some people that may be sex, whatever it is, it's, it's a way of avoiding that opportunity of stepping into and embracing that darkness, which will be tension. <laughs> Believe me, when, when, the, when the dark night of the soul comes and, and things aren't going the way you want them to go and shit's getting bad, like there's a huge opportunity for growth in all of that. and like it's not something to be afraid of or run from or even something that's even really able to be escaped maybe you know passed down the road a little bit kick the cane down the road a little bit but it's something that you can either engage with or avoid and engage with later eventually <laughs> right. there's an engaging that happens so it's even taking into account the the fear that we talked about earlier and the 
the tension and the conflict we talked about earlier, as those are natural, natural aspects of this process, zooming out and realizing that it's, it's beneficial and it's part of a growing, just like the dark night of the soul. It may be the dark night, but what comes before and after the dark night? Not the dark night. <laughs> the stuff that makes it worth it, if you will. Yeah. So looking at it at the bigger, the bigger level and seeing it as part of the growing, part of the expansion, part of the inhale and exhale, the breathing. It's something that the entire universe is doing. It's the process. And the important thing to recognize is that the journey is to, to learn and to prepare for the next dark night and how we get to experience it for the next time it comes around, recognizing it for what it is as opposed to something that we feel to be a permanent thing because it too shall pass. As does everything. I love that.